Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Sharon Moore, and I'm one of your hosts. And on this podcast, we talk to Hoffman graduates about how their courageous journey inward impacted their personal lives, but also how it impacted their community and the world at large. So tune in and listen in and hear how our graduates' authentic selves, how their love, how their spirits are making a positive impact on our world today. In other words, get to know their love's everyday radius. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Today, my guest is Wilma May Basta. She's an amazingly talented entrepreneur and founder of DRK Beauty, pronounced Dark Beauty. Dark Beauty is a mental health and wellness platform that helps women of color discover, experience, and build their unique well-being journey. Dark Beauty Healing, which is their nonprofit initiative, believes that healing is our birthright. And get this, has figured out a way to give free therapy to women of color in the United States. Now, I know that the words free and therapy don't usually go together, so I cannot wait to hear more. I logged onto the website and literally in all capitals, I saw immediate therapy available now. That is bold. That is making an impact. That is commitment. And I can't wait to hear more. Joining us now is Wilma May Basto. Welcome, Wilma. Thank you. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here. I'm obviously excited about this and I can't wait to learn more about it. But before we do, as always, we're here at the Hoffman Podcast. So I, I'm always curious. Tell me about the Hoffman process. What brought you to that process in the first place? When were you there? Let's start with that. Sure. So, wow. Uh, I guess now, this being 2021, this happened in 2009. This is when I went to Hoffman. And I think it was August. Um, I used to live in the UK. Uh, I'm actually a UK citizen, American born. And I lived there for about 25 years, approximately. And I remarried in 2007 blended family, my two children, his three children. Um, it's always um, a challenge, I think, from friends that I've heard about, talk about blending families. It, sometimes it works brilliantly. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes there's somewhere in between. And um, I think for us, we, uh, we fell in love and got married and we had a lot of moving parts. And we didn't have the tools to deal with it. Um, Also, I had never really considered my own mental health at any other time in my life. It didn't figure into my life. Uh, Being a black woman, mental health just doesn't, is not part of my culture. And so when, you know, the few years after we were married and issues started to arise, things started, I I didn't really know how to see that I was kind of spiraling downwards. And I thought, well, my husband is also not, you know, listening or not hearing the things that I'm trying to express. And maybe, you know, 
there's something that he needs to do. I had zero idea what that looked like. And one of my best friends had been telling me for the six months prior that perhaps my husband should do Hoffman. She had done Hoffman. And I looked it up and didn't really make sense to me because I didn't understand anything about mental health or what that journey looked like for anyone. And, but she swore by it and she seemed to have been, transformed a lot of things in her life. So I mentioned it to my husband and I don't think he really paid much attention to it initially. I think he thought it was just a bit woo-woo and I like woo-woo, but I didn't, I don't think he did at that time. I don't think he had ever done any kind of work on himself previously. And I kind of badgered him a little bit, if I'm honest, to do it. And he finally did it in the July, I believe, of that year. And I was like really happy. I thought, great, he's going to sort himself out. We'll be fine after that. <laughs> I thought he was going to come back home magically changed. And life would be great. And what I didn't realize was all of the the pain and the things that had been triggered from in my own my own patterns, etc. I wasn't even looking at myself. I thought everything was outside of me. And by the time he came back, I was blown away, blown away. But here he was. I was like, he came back and said it was like a car wash for the soul. <laughs> and he was in this completely different space emotionally and and much calmer but what i found was that oh and by the way he tapped into his spiritual side and <laughs> i hope i could say this but he was so zenned out i guess for that maybe that first week he was actually burning incense in the car <laughs> so, <laughs> but the thing was that i i experienced was I was really angry. I was really angry because I thought he's fixed and I was just getting this awareness that I wasn't fixed or that I was struggling still. And in fact, it wasn't about him getting fixed and our lives would be magically better. It was this stark realization that I didn't actually take care of myself. I didn't even acknowledge that I was in pain because of whatever, my, my past, my relationships, my patterns. And I was angry, I was really angry because here he was looking like, you know, he understood life. And I sat here and go, what about me? And I was so angry and I, I reacted badly, really badly in a way that I don't think I'd ever done before. One evening, maybe, probably, it might have actually been the first weekend after he came out, which he probably, you know, should have kind of spent more time on his own afterwards. I flipped. He took me out to lunch that afternoon and I proceeded to drink a lot of wine. He said, you might want to slow down. And I said, nope. And I got more and more angry as the day went on and into evening. Something flipped. This had never happened to me before. And I started screaming. 
I started throwing glasses and bottles against the wall. And I started kind of pounding his back. I was so angry. Like I, this had never happened to me before. And I was so frightened of myself. And I didn't know I was this angry. And I, he actually left the house that evening and I called up one of my dearest friends who lived nearby and I was actually in the countryside. It was super rural in England. And I said, I don't know what's happening to me. I need to come and see you. And he said, girl, get over here right now. You can stay in the spare bedroom. And so I did. I drove over. I wasn't drinking at this point. And um, and I was sober because it was late at night. And I just cried. And I cried all night. And I woke up the next day. And I felt drained. And I said, I got to do something. I, can't, I don't know what's wrong with me. I said, the only thing I can think to do is to maybe do Hoffman myself. And they said, well, you should try and see if you can do that. And so I, I got in touch with Hoffman and, and, you know, normally there, you know, you have to, it, it doesn't happen as quickly as it did with me. I was lucky enough to be able to get a spot. I think they had a cancellation and I drove down to, I think it might've been Kent. And I remember walking into the room and I had a roommate and she introduced herself. She seemed like a really lovely woman. And she asked me my name and I burst into tears. <laughs> and, and then I finally, after crying for about five minutes straight, I actually told her my name and she just hugged me. So that was, that was how I found Hoffman. Wow. I, uh, my, my, Body had a reaction, right, when, when you said, well, all kinds of reactions, but I'm really moved by, A, that you had this friend, these people in our lives that we call and we can say, I don't know what's happening. And they immediately say, get over here. I got you. And, and even before that, you knew to pick up the phone. You knew to ask for help. Was that... Is that act of asking for help, is that something that was new to you? Is that a skill you've had to develop? <laughs> Very new. Um, my experience with asking for help throughout my life uh, has not been a good one because there is this notion of the strong black woman there is this expectation that I'm supposed to deal with it. And this has been something that I didn't acknowledge until probably around the time, I think I started to acknowledge it or started to have an inkling about it when I went to Hoffman. But before that, I didn't know. I mean, just to even give you an example, my mother, who is who was amazing, an amazing woman, amazing spiritual teacher, okay, but a black woman, a black woman who was brought up in a a brothel and gambling den in the ghetto in the 1930s and 40s, and worked her way up to go to Penn State University, which was almost unheard of for a black woman, and then 
in the early 70s, around 1970, I was three years old, and she moved us out of the ghetto into a pretty affluent white suburb of Philadelphia. So being strong was her middle name. And I'll never forget when I walked into the room and I hugged my roommate at Hoffman and they, before they take your phone away, I actually called my mother. She was alive uh, back then, but she was nearing the end of her life. And I was in tears calling her, just saying, I've broken down. I don't know what's wrong with me. I've come to this thing, Hoffman. And she was really upset. She was really angry with me. I was, this was not what a goddess, a strong black woman was supposed to do. I was supposed to have been able to figure this out. I was living the life of her dreams, the life that she couldn't have led, being in a foreign country, doing the things that I was doing, living the life that I was living. And that was galling to me. So no, I don't, asking for help is not part of my, my way of doing things. I'm supposed to figure out how to do it. And when I've asked for help in the past, my experience has been, you, you know, you got to hustle, figure it out. And so were you able to, while you were at Hoffman, were you able to name that as a pattern or has that clarity come to the surface over time? No, I named other patterns, but the, 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 the strong one didn't really become apparent to me until probably a few years later. And that's been an on, that's ongoing, you know, but the awareness started at Hoffman, the the dawning of the awareness, if that makes sense. Yeah. Again, I was about to say that because it, it, you called that friend. So that was before you got to Hoffman. So it must've been a, a rock bottom of sorts for you to go completely out of nature and, and ask a friend for help. This particular friend the two particular friends were people that I trusted with my life. This is the, 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 the gentleman and his husband that I went over to their house are the, probably one of the few, if not only people. I, I have more friends now like this, but the, back then, for sure, the only person I could say, I could fall back and I know he'll catch me. And so, so reaching out to him was, was my only option. And I knew I needed to reach to someone at that point because I couldn't think my way out of a paper bag. I had to ask someone because there, there were no other options for me. I knew that I couldn't, my brain wasn't in a space to figure it out. And I was on my knees and I, there was not any other person I felt I could call that could help me. First of all, thank God for those friends, that's for sure. And where my curiosity goes is having this innate, you know, goddess, black woman, strong, suck it up, I figure things out, programmed into your DNA, and then walking into Hoffman. Did it? Did that keep coming up? Like, were you, you know, as, as a teacher, I see this often where the patterns are getting in the way of them doing the work while they're at 
the Hoffman process, right? So did, did that kind of surface or were you just so ready to be present and to do the work? I was ready I, I because I remember the train of thought. I remember the train of thought was, I am going to allow Hoffman to catch me. I am going to be present for this because clearly I'm in a space I've never been before. Clearly, I can't think my way out of a paper bag. I don't know what to do. And I have to surrender to this process. I have to do this. And I'm not going to come here and try and out trick the process or outthink it and try and figure out like the flaws or try and be the best student or I'm just going to surrender and I'm going to allow this process to work for me. I made a very conscious decision when when I came to Hoffman. And so you had this moment in your life and sounds like you hit a certain uh, bottom or a certain place in your life where you needed help. You came to the process and somewhere along the way, you became interested in helping other women of color. What, can you t- speak more to that? When my mother moved us out to the suburbs, my, my father was a formerly a civil rights leader out of Philadelphia. And he, in, once the, the civil rights movement was over, he kind of gotten, he was not really around. He wasn't very present, my father. He was, he was a great guy, lovable rogue is what they, they call him, called him. And, um, but he, so I had these, this very sort of strange, bizarre upbringing where I had a father who, after the civil rights movement, got involved with the Italian mafia, which, you know, I'm sure most people would acknowledge the fact that the mafia is an equal opportunity organization <laughs> so <laughs> but you know and, and it's, it's, it's a very strange thing so we had that we had the family me and three brothers growing up in this white suburb and a mother who was a spiritual teacher and was an occultist and so I, I, I had all these quote-unquote, strong people around me. My mother's students were and still are these amazing, strong women. Um, And so I I always felt there was this expectation that I was either A, to follow in their footsteps, or B, to go out into the world and be this badass. And so, but there was never anything about, we didn't really talk, interestingly enough, we didn't really talk about my identity as a black woman. I think that there was a, I think my mother's intention was, and her hope was that we would live in a world where race didn't matter. So she didn't want to bring up her kids to have race or ethnicity or culture even front and center. That was, that was something I think she left up to us to determine who and what we wanted to turn up in the world as. So we didn't have conversations about that at home. The conversations that we did have were more around the realm of the spiritual, you know? So that was, a, that was and still is a familiar space for me. And yet all of the things that my mother brought to bear in, the, in our lives were informed by her being a black woman. 
and growing up in a very segregated and racist environment. You know, not to mention sexual abuse. I had this focus of going out into the world to be just a badass. For me, I wanted, I ended up working in PR and I was, I wanted to, I had this drive to be an entrepreneur. It took me a long time to get onto the entrepreneurial path, but I had a successful career in PR. And to me, I was like, that was it. I didn't have any connection to my identity as a black woman. Um, I'd lived abroad in France as a teenager and that opened my eyes to the fact that I didn't feel at home in America because here's the, here's the, (laughs) this is the kicker. I didn't feel accepted by either community. And, you know, I grew up in this white neighborhood. I grew up on the main line, Philadelphia in Villanova. And I was not disliked, but I wasn't like fully in, right? I was never really fully accepted. I, you know, I, I, no one asked me out for dates and things like that. White guys didn't. But then the black community didn't quite understand me either. And so other black women were, especially in my high school, there weren't many other black families that lived on the main line at that time. And so the the some of the black girls in my high school were part of a, a program called A Better Chance and they were from the inner city. And of course, looking at me, they were like, well, you talk white or they called me egg yolk. And for years, I didn't understand what that meant, but it meant surrounded by white. And so I didn't fit into any community. You know, I wasn't white enough and I wasn't black enough. And so when I went abroad to live in France and nobody cared, I was like, oh, okay, now I see what's happening here. I see where I feel comfortable. In Europe, I felt comfortable. So by the time I graduated high school, and by the time, and I, then I was in university at NYU, I went to study abroad in England for a semester in my last year. I met my first husband, fell in love, got married, and um, I moved to England. And it felt like I could breathe for the first time in my life. And so I didn't focus on my identity as a black woman for many years. And really, it only came up for me after I did Hoffman. Full circle, people. Full circle. (laughs) So I, um, I started to reconnect with that. And it took the like the full reconnection took years. But I got to the point about five years ago where I really felt that I needed to reconnect with my identity as a black woman. And then eventually when I uh, wanted to get back on the entrepreneurial wagon again and create a business for black women, not just for black women, but for women of color, because again, who gets to be in the club, right? Because my children are mixed race. Their father is is white, but my daughter looks like me. If she walks down the street, she looks like a black woman. And my son is really light-skinned, and he's got a blonde afro and green eyes, but he looks mixed race. So who gets to be black, right? Who gets to be in the club? And so I felt 
confident enough to claim my space, but I also felt that it was important to work with women of color. I know that Black women need a lot of help and support and love and care, but I also know that women of color generally experience otherness in many different ways. Tandy Newton, who I used to dress when I was a vintage fashion dealer in London, and she's also a neighbor of mine, you know, wrote a really great piece for Hoffman about, I think it was, I think it was for Hoffman about otherness, or she, she, she wrote something, I believe. And, you know, she is mixed race. And, you know, I remember having chats with her about this, that, this was um, this sense of otherness, and I and I understood that. So for me, it was important to create a business where this was inclusive, and that there was no kind of well, you're not black enough to to be in 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 dark beauty, or you're you know you're you're to this, you're not enough of this because it doesn't. I I I, ha- I from a soul perspective, I have to move forward from that from that and and unfortunately we're in a situation even today where we're still dealing with colorism and it's complex and i'm not the best person to talk about it to 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 give an expert opinion or anything like that but what i do know is what we stand for when i knew that i need i wanted to work with women of color that was about five years ago. And how I wanted to work with women of color has evolved in those five years. But I knew that that was my purpose. And it's, beca- and it's evolved really into my purpose in the last year. Well, it's interesting. Literally, I was just thinking about, wow, this woman was born to experience all the things you talked about the pressure, the uh, suck it up, the goddess black woman doesn't ask for help, all that to get to this moment where you also get to merge your entrepreneurial skills with this experience that is unique to what you've had to create good in the world. I mean, literally, as I was thinking that you said, and that is my purpose, I, I, I feel that so strongly for you. It's a use of your skills and a... Um, what's the right word, like a trajectory, uh, a movement based on your personal experience. You could have just healed yourself, you know, and that wasn't enough. You healed yourself and then you continued, like you said, it evolved, evolved, evolved. Suddenly you realize I need to, I need to provide help here and use my skills for good. That's what happened. Um, I, you know, interestingly enough, the first version of Dark Beauty I decided to move back to America in 2017 and everyone said, I thought you were never moving back to America. And I was like, "Uh, I know. And, you know, especially right now, they're like, really, you really want to go back? And I said, the honest truth is, and it's a much longer story, but in a nutshell, I had a, I had a download from the divine and it was the first time this had ever happened to me. And it gave me a very clear, it woke me up. It was in the middle of the night and I literally sat up, bolt upright in bed. And it was like, there was a stream of consciousness just coming into my brain and I had to pull out my iPad and write it down. Wow. And 
I then went to sleep, woke up the next morning, looked at it and said, oh my God, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I went out to the country. We were living in London by this point, but we had a, a little place outside. I said, I need to go out and flesh this out because I just had this download. And now that my husband has done a lot of work post Hoffman, I can talk about things that are woo-woo. And he's, and by the way, my husband also, after Hoffman, learned how to be, he learned, uh, he's now a Reiki healer. Wow. And in the beginning, he didn't, you said he didn't even like, it was too woo-woo for him. Yes. No, he's a Reiki healer now and a poet and a banker. (laughs) I love that because we're a little bit, we could be a little bit of everything. That is a whole human right there. That's a whole human. Wow. So you had this powerful download. You know, you're safe with me to say I had a download from the divine. I was like, "Mm -hmm, tell me more. Keep it going. (laughs) So I had this and I went out and and for two weeks, I I mapped out what this download was and what that was going to look like. And that was the birth of the, this idea of, of dark beauty. And I came back and I showed it to my husband. He went, this is amazing. And, and that's not even what it is today, right? This was like the first iteration of what I wanted this to be and how I saw it. And I mapped out this whole idea for, I actually prototyped an app and it, it can live on an app or on a website, but I used an app and I, I said, I have to go and build this and I need to go move to America like now. <laughs> so within about six weeks after that, I had moved to New York. And uh, I started working and it took me, took me two years of research and pulling all the bits and pieces together, getting an advisory board together and my legal and getting everything set up. And, and the idea originally for Dark Beauty was it was going to be this community-based platform for women of color. And we were going to work with brands to not simply market to women of color, but to learn about us and actually sit within our niche communities because a lot of brands focus on women of color as if we're a monolith and they don't know anything about us. And my research showed me after speaking to many brands that there are many are afraid of us. And they also, because they don't have diverse teams in house, don't really know how to work with women of color and what to do. And I felt like, well, wait a minute, I love skiing. I would like to connect with all the other black women or women of color who ski and maybe there's a brand that could sit in my niche community of skiers on this platform and not only just learn about us but support us right or i like traveling i know there are women of color who love traveling but i also know there are a high percentage of minorities who don't even have their their passport so perhaps they have this dream of traveling but never think it's an option for them so maybe we could work with a luggage brand and set up a bursary to help women of color travel for the first time and get their passport and that rather than selling us luggage. And so we were going to do this soft launch, which was November. We did a soft launch in November, 2019. Oh, lovely timing. (laughs) And it was just, it was just an Instagram account and a simple website. And we were going to build our community over the next year and then evolve into this real, this niche community. Anyway, that wasn't to be because a few months later we had lockdown 
And I said to my team, and by the way, we're self-funded, and uh, we were hoping to get to a point where we could raise our seed round, but we obviously were working on building our MVP. And I said to my team, well, we need to buckle up, and this is going to be like the rapids, but we got to try and sort of figure out day to day what our community needs, because it's not just content. And by end of March, early April, I woke up with a huge panic attack. Now, I, I, don't, I see panic attacks as my higher self trying to tell me something. Well, that's a nice way to reframe that. Yeah, well, that's another learning I had from Hoffman, which is learning how to reframe the way I think about things. And I got in the shower that morning and I had my second download, which was, it was so clear. It said, you need to give away free therapy. And I went, oh, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> but I'll figure it out. But I'll figure it out. <laughs> so I got on the call with my team. I just had a, a young woman named Shara join me as an intern from Columbia. Uh, the, the, one of the good things about the pandemic and lockdown was that the really smart interns lost their internships, but I was able to get Ivy League interns. <laughs> so Shara joined Uh, She's a really smart Tamil woman. And I said, right, you and I are going to peel off from the main team. We're going to figure out how we give away free therapy. She's like, great. I love it. And we got on the phone with therapists. And very quickly, we learned that therapists usually give away about 20 hours a year pro bono. And most of the therapists we were speaking to were Black women. Because one of the the things that that I acknowledged when I had that panic attack that morning was that the other thing that I was thinking about was how this was going to impact black and brown communities. And no one in the media was talking about it at that point. And it's like, well, you know, what, what do we do? How can we be helpful? And that's when the therapy message came through. So when we discovered that they give away 20 hours a year pro bono, I said, can you give me 10 of those hours? And immediately someone said, yes. I said, well, can you tell 10 of your therapy friends? And they, and, and they did. And I called my developers, my CTO, and I said, can we just build a directory onto our site because we're not HIPAA compliant and we don't want to deal with data. And we just want a directory of these clinicians who have agreed to give away t- 10 hours. And by May the 15th, we launched Dark Beauty Healing and we had a few hundred hours of free therapy by this point. This was from between end of March and mid-May. We had a few celebrities give us a shout out. And then a few weeks later, George Floyd was murdered. And we had an, an outpouring of hours donated to us by therapists across the country because they knew that this was such a traumatic moment. By July of last year, we had over 2,000 hours of free therapy that had been donated by clinicians across the country. Holy moly, here's what I hear. You sent a message or somehow the universe got the message that you trusted and you started getting these downloads and you and you trusted them. And look what's happened as a result. It's, it's kind of going back to what I said. Your purpose is now in the physical realm. It is, it is manifesting and look at all this good that's happening because you listened. It's a combination of you sent the message and said, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to listen to you. And 
when you were given the messages, you trusted in them. I think it, there's a couple noteworthy things. It's that you got the message, but it wasn't easy after the message. It was just a clear message. And then it took you two years to actually put it into practice and get clarity. That means you had to every day stay connected to the why of what you're doing. And two years is a lot of days to continue to stay connected. There's a profound trust you have in this message and a profound trust the universe has in you simultaneously. Well, to be honest with you, I actually, it was a profound process that put me in the space to actually start to connect with my higher self, to trust in the divine and to, and to know when those messages come through. It takes work. I mean, it wasn't like the, the next day. Right. It does take work. Yeah. I, I know that we can make it look pretty and package it. Oh, I had a download and then I started a business. No, no, no. There's a lot that goes into it. And I appreciate that you, you made that clear that, that there is a um, deeply profound and not necessarily quick journey hap that happens between download and expression. And over and over again, probably many downloads expressions that happen all the way throughout. Uh, yes. I mean, that's exactly right. And the work is, here's the difference. I was flailing about before I did Hoffman because I was reactionary. I didn't know when things didn't go the way that I thought they should go or people didn't behave the way I thought that they should behave, then I would react. I would be angry. Post Hoffman, I started to learn how to pause, to take a step back, to hear what was actually being said, to listen to my heart, to acknowledge when it was that child inside me, and to then take a breath and think of ways when, how could I handle the situation before I just jump in? Because I'm pretty fierce. I, I could take somebody down verbally in a heartbeat, but that didn't help anything. That just had this, this immediate feeling of like, I need to say this, or I need to express my opinion to this person. They need to know what I think. They don't need to know what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Newsflash, they don't need to know that. <laughs> you know, it doesn't change the situation. If anything, it makes it worse. But post-Hoffman, I, I learned how to take that breath. I learned how to actually look at the whole situation. I learned how to look at the person that was being impacted opposite me. Right, the person, you know, who was speaking was it that that person's inner little child? Was it that person? What was really going on here? And so, having that ability, eventually, not overnight, but eventually, became like a superpower. Interesting. I know we're going to close out, but I just want to say a couple amazing things here. Interesting how we went from the pattern of strong black woman, I figure this out on my own, to the journey, the journey, the journey, to coming back to having a superpower. And part of that superpower is asking for help. Part of that superpower is taking time. Part of that superpower is trusting the divine. It's like instead of badassery, it's a superpower. And suddenly you're fulfilling your purpose. You're doing good. You're using the skills that enliven you. You're making an impact. It's like, I could go on. It's such a ripple effect of goodness that happened there. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> 
I know it. So anyway, I, I just, um, what beautiful messages I, I have here, this, this slight reframe of these patterns and the combination of the pattern and the trust in the divine and the space and the breathing turning into a superpower and then using all your skills to do good for the world. And those who are listening, check out the website. This is no joke. It says immediate therapy now. This is real. This is what our communities need, specifically women of color. And boom, there you have it. Really, really powerful and inspirational. And I'm so grateful I got to know you. I could keep talking to you for hours, but we'll pause there. Maybe we'll have you back again. But what a treat for you to let us into your journey. Thank you so much. What a treat for me to to be on the show, to be interviewed by you. Um, I, I feel your energy completely. And I am, I'm just a huge fan of Hoffman. I always have been. And it was so transformative for me and for my husband and for my, my family and my life. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, this is a real honor. Thank you. And I will just close by saying this specific work that I'm doing where I get to interview graduates confirms, affirms, does all the right things, validates the fact that when we do this work on ourselves, we go back into the world as intentional members of our community, such a strong communal presence as a result of doing our inner work. It's beautiful. You embody that perfectly. Thank you. All right, Wilma May Basta, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to continued relationship, both from our organizations um, and individually myself to you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And everyone, we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Ras Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.